Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Up the series this morning. Uh, it's only been a two-week series. It's a lot to cover. Um, but it's based, um, it's, it's, it's about grace, which is what the, the, the story is all about. Um, it's on Les Miserables, which, yes, I know it's spelled Les Miserables, okay? But it's French. They dropped the last syllable. I don't know why. It just is, okay? And I think some Americans, okay, well, fine. We can do that. We'll just drop all the syllables. It's just Les Mis. So whatever works for you, um, the story is a story about grace, and it's a powerful thing. We started looking at it last week, and if you have not seen the film or read the book, um, like I said, the, the movie is probably easier because the book's 950 pages, and it gets a little dry in a few spots, but it's an incredible story about grace, and last week we looked at this whole idea that grace catches you by surprise. There are two main characters in the story are Jean Valjean, who is an ex-convict, and um, Inspector Javert, who is a policeman who is chasing him. And grace surprises both of them. They both have an encounter with grace. Jean Valjean bends the knee and submits to God's grace and becomes a recipient of it, and it changes his life. Inspector Javert will not bow. Grace offends him. It offends his pride, and he will not bend the knee. He will not give in, and he doesn't experience grace, and it becomes his undoing. And that's what, that, that's what grace does. Grace will offend your pride because to receive God's grace, you've got to be willing to admit you need it. And to admit you need it means I'm not good enough. And so that's what happens with John Vision, and it changes him. In fact, that was the last thing we talked about last week is grace will make you better than you want to be because grace will transform your life. And this week, I want to kind of delve into that a little bit more. We're going to look at a few more scenes from the the movie, um, but we're also going to be centering in on the book of Romans, particularly chapter 8. Now, the whole first part of the book of Romans is all about grace for the most part. Um, but we don't have time to read the whole book this morning, so we're just going to start in Romans chapter 8. But if you want to follow along and begin reading in verse 1. Paul writes, There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Skip down verse nine. You, however, are not in the realm of flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And then verse 15, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. and By him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are now God's children. Paul says, grace doesn't just forgive your guilt. Grace does something more. Grace transforms your life. And I want to unpack that a little bit. And I think this story just so beautifully illustrates so many different aspects. In fact, we could spend months 
just kind of going through this story and seeing the theme of grace as it comes through over and over and over again. But I just want to hit on a couple of things this morning. The first is that understand this. Grace will free you from your shame. One of the things that I find over and over again in talking with people is even people who have come to experience God's forgiveness have a great deal of difficulty forgiving themselves. There is this emotion called shame that we sometimes carry with us. In fact, probably all of us from time to time feel shame. And shame is, has less to do with what you've done as to what you, who you are. See, we feel guilt over something we've done. But shame is something we feel about who we are. That we're not good enough that we will never be good enough. In fact, Lewis Smedes wrote a book called Shame and Grace, and he defines it this way. He says, shame is the feeling that we do not measure up and maybe never will measure up to the sorts of persons we were meant to be. It gives us a vague disgust with ourselves, which feels like a hunk of lead in our hearts. You ever felt that way? You ever felt that way? Yeah, I know God forgives me, but I am such a mess. I so do not live up to the things, even the standards that I have for myself. That's shame. It's what we feel about who we are. And that's why Paul wrote, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. He says, you don't have to feel that condemnation. You don't need to feel that shame anymore because God has removed that from you. Shame is that feeling that that if, if you knew the real me, you would probably not want to hang around with me. And it's why many of us, most of us, keep up some measure of a facade. We don't let people see the real me because there is this sense that if you knew who I really was, what my thoughts really were, how my behavior sometimes is, you wouldn't want anything to do with me. That's shame. And grace not only forgives the guilt for what we've done, grace relieves us of the shame that we carry. In the story, there was a character, Fontaine. Fontaine is a young woman. And as a young woman, she, she got together with this young man who then abandoned her when she became pregnant. And she has no means. She's living in Paris. She has no means to, to bear this child and provide for this child on her own. And the only thing she can do to think of is to go back to her village that she grew up in and get a job there. And as she is traveling back to the village of uh, Montreal-Semer, um, she goes through another village and she sees this, this woman, uh, this mother with her two children. She's t- taking such good care of her children. She thinks, I can't provide for my own daughter. If I can leave this wo- this, my daughter, Cosette, with this woman... And she could care for her until I get established and I get a job and I raise the funds and then I can send for Cosette and have her join me again. And so unknowingly, she entrusts her daughter Cosette to this couple that are very unscrupulous innkeepers. She doesn't know it. She puts her trust trust in them. She leaves her daughter Cosette with these two. She goes off and she has this plan. She's going to establish herself. She's going to raise the funds. She'll send for her daughter and they will be reunited except things don't go the way she planned. And things start to unravel. One of them because these unscrupulous innkeepers keep sending and saying, we need more money. You have to send us more money. Your daughter has been very ill. We've had to buy medicines, none of which is true. But they make up all these reasons to extort more and more money out of Fontaine. So she can't keep up with that. And then on top of that, she actually loses her job at the factory. 
So now she has no means of support at all. And she's financially just devastated. She has her own debt. She cannot um, get her daughter back. She has no job. She resorts to, she's got long, beautiful hair. She resorts to selling her hair to a wig maker. And so she's shaved completely bald almost. And that pays one bill, but then the bills continue to pile up. And so she ends up selling some of her teeth to a denture maker. So her teeth are pulled. And that only pays the debt for a little time. And eventually, she sells her body in prostitution. And she comes to the very bottom. Victor Hugo writes it this way. All has happened to her that will happen to her. She has felt everything, borne everything, experienced everything, suffered everything, lost everything, mourned everything. She is resigned with the resignation which resembles indifference as death resembles sleep. Watch this.
she loses everything. She loses her dream. She loses hope. All she has left is shame. And she's arrested by Javert. And she becomes gravely ill. But Jean Valjean, who has now become the mayor of that village, though he is now working under an alias, he doesn't know that he is Jean Valjean, he rescues her. He redeems her. He, he frees her and brings her to the hospital where she can get tended to and cared for. And Victor Hugo writes it this way. This is his words to her. I will pay your debts. I will send for your child. I will undertake the care of your child and yourself. I will give you all the money you require. And then he ends with these words. You have never ceased to be a virtuous and holy woman in the sight of God. He not only provides for her physically, he restores her dignity. He gives her something new and hope. And that is such a beautiful picture of what Christ has done for us. Paul put it this way. He said, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. Where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. That's what grace does. It'll free you from that shame. And I don't know if you're here this morning and you've been carrying this, this rock in the pit of your stomach, this heaviness on your soul, and you feel like, I just, how could God possibly care about me? <laughs> the beautiful thing about grace is, you can sing the song Amazing Grace without feeling like a wretch. <laughs> That's the promise. But it does more than that. Grace also gives you the courage to do what is right. And, and that's something that I think sometimes people don't really understand about grace. Because a lot of times I think people feel like grace is the excuse and the permission for self-indulgence. You know, it's kind of the old saying, God loves to forgive, I love to sin. It's a very nice arrangement we have. <laughs> but that's not the grace of God. Grace is not given to us to indulge in what we want to do. Grace is given to us with the power to change who we are, to become better people, to become the people He designed us to be. And it's not about self-indulgence, it's really about transformation. And that's what happens. That's what happens to Jean Valjean. Paul put it this way in Romans 8, 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. He's saying, grace so transforms you, that it transforms you that it changes the way that you look at things. It changes your whole perspective. It becomes a transforming power in your life. And that's what changes Jean Valjean. The grace that he experienced, we talked about last week, where, where he is arrested and actually going to be sent back to prison. But the bishop actually not only forgives him, not only excuses him, but actually gives him these two silver candlesticks and just experiences this grace for him and, and entrusts him and envelops him in this grace. It changes his life. And he actually does. He takes those gifts that the bishop gave him. He goes and establishes himself in this village of uh, Montreal-sur-Mer. And there he actually it becomes known for his graciousness. That he is one who cares for the needy. He gives to the poor. He, he establishes a hospital in that village just as the bishop had done in the previous village. His life gets turned around by the power of grace. He becomes an employer in a factory where he is known to pay an honest wage to his laborers. 
He is, he, he is so known in the community by his goodness and by his grace that he is he's chosen to be mayor of the city. All under an assumed name. Because the convict Jean Valjean is still being persecuted and still being hunted by Javert. And everything works really, really well until one day Inspector Javert shows up in the village. Because he has now been promoted and he has been assigned to the post of the village of Montreal-Sumer. And he sees Jean Valjean for the very first time, who is now known as Monsieur Madeleine. And he sees him and he says, Your fate, you look familiar to me. I know you from somewhere. And there's a great line. Jean Valjean says, No, your face is not one I would forget. <laughs> kind of a cute little sign there. But he, he insists, he's got these suspicions about, about Jean Valjean, that, he's really, that he really is this ex-convict um, known by the number 24601. That is his criminal number. And he, he suspects it all along, and he kind of looks at him a little bit differently. And then one day, uh, a horse cart breaks down. It actually falls and begins to crush um, the owner of the horse cart. And he is laying under the horse cart, and he has no way of freeing himself. And, and Jean Valjean, who is Monsieur Madeleine, shows up, and he hears a commotion. He comes, and with, with his great strength, he actually lifts the horse cart up so that the man can be rescued and saved. He saves the man's life. And Inspector Javert is there to witness it, and he thinks to himself, there is only one man I've ever seen who has that kind of strength. He's the convict. 24601, Jean Valjean. And he begins to make inquiries. He sends off to Paris to find out. And he is sure, he is sure that this mayor is really Jean Valjean, the convict. But he gets a letter back from Paris saying, no, Jean Valjean has been arrested. He doesn't admit to who he is, but we know he's the man. And he's been using an alias, but he has, he's been arrested and he's going to trial. And so now Javert must go back to his, the mayor and he says to him, I need your forgiveness. In fact, he actually says, you need to fire me because I've done something I shouldn't have done. I have gone behind your back and made inquiries because I suspected you of being a convict. But someone else has been arrested and he's going to trial. And Jean Valjean thinks to himself, here's my out. Someone else has been arrested. They think he's me. Now I can be free to be Monsieur Madeleine. Now I can be mayor with no thoughts of ever being hunted again. Except that his conscience won't let him do that. Now he's struggling because now he's got to deal with grace because he has been shown grace. What is he going to do? Is he going to let this other guy take the punishment for him with the one that he deserves? And so he's torn and he rationalizes with himself because he's the mayor of the town. He employs hundreds of workers. If he goes and, and, and gives himself up, if he says something, he'll be arrested and all these hundreds of people will be out of work. How can I do that to those people? And yet, if I don't come forward, a man is going to be unjustly punished. And he wrestles with this because now he's have, he has to make a tough choice. It's an incredibly tough choice. In the book, uh, Hugo writes this way. He felt he was on the brink of a second decisive crisis of his conscience and of his destiny. That the bishop had marked the first phase of his new life. And that this new man had now marked the second. And he's got to decide. What's he going to do? Watch this clip. They think that man is me. Without a second glance. The stranger they have found, this man could be my chance. Why should I say these hide? Why should I write this wrong? When I have come so far and struggled for so long. If I speak, I am condemned. 
If I stay silent, I am damned. I am the master of hundreds of workers. They all look to me. Can I abandon them? How will they live if I am not free? If I speak, they are condemned. If I stay silent, I am damned. Who am I? Can I condemn this man to slavery? Pretend I do not feel his agony. This innocent who bears my face, who goes to judgment in my place, who am I? Can I conceal myself forevermore? Pretend I'm not the man I was before. That must my name until I die. Be no more than an alibi, must I lie? How can I ever face my fellow men? How can I ever face myself again? My soul belongs to God. I, I made that bargain long ago. Gave me hope when hope was gone. He gave me strength to journey on. Who am I? Who am I? Show me. Mister Mayor, and so your honor, you see it's true. This man bears no more guilt than you. Who am I? Two, four, six, of one. Living by grace is not always easy because grace puts a demand on our souls. And sometimes you have to do the right thing even though it's hard. Sometimes you are called upon to do the right thing, even though it costs you personally. But see, grace gives you the strength and the courage to do that because grace says, my life is now in God's hands. And if this is the right thing to do, if this is what I should do as a child of His, I can do the right thing. I can do the hard thing because my life is in His hands. And He will work on my behalf. That's what Paul wrote. He says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose, that, that God works in every situation, even in the most difficult ones, when we must make those hard choices and, and do the right thing, even though it will cost us personally, you can do it with courage because your life is in God's hands now. And in his grace, he will surround you and he will work. And that gives you the confidence to do it. The last thing is, that grace will give you a compassion that you can extend to others. Because what grace does is it opens the door to love. Grace affirms, first of all, our relationship with God. Paul wrote, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm we are God's children. Though we don't deserve it, we don't deserve grace, for some strange reason, God looks at you and me and says, you're worth it. 
And there is something about grace that says, even though I don't deserve it, God sees me as worth it. And that is a powerful thing. And when you begin to understand the depth of God's love for you, when you begin to understand the greatness of his grace toward you, when you begin to understand how he looks at you through these eyes of love, you cannot look at anybody else the same way ever again. Grace changes you that way. Because when you know that you deserve nothing, you did nothing to earn this, but God has still chosen by his grace to pay your price, to pay my price, and give his life so that I could be his child, you could be his child. How can I look at somebody else in, in, in any different way? That's what grace does. And that's what happens with Jean Valjean. He, Fontaine dies, but he remembers the promise and the pledge that he made that he would care for Cosette. And so he goes to the innkeepers, he ransoms, he redeems Cosette back from those unscrupulous innkeepers, pays above and beyond the price, an incredible price, and takes her and adopts her as his own. And he raises her. And in there, he discovers love. Because this is a man who had been filled with nothing but hatred before. And now he experiences love. Hugo writes, as he was five and 50... And Cosette, eight years of age, all that might have been love in the whole course of his life flowed together in a sort of ineffable light. The bishop had caused the dawn of virtue to rise on his horizon. Cosette caused the dawn of love. Jean Valjean dies to himself, and he discovers life. He gives himself away, and he discovers love. And that's what grace does. And Cosette grows up, becomes a young lady. She marries a young man named Marius, who is from a well-connected family and, and a very wealthy family. And now she's become part of his family. But Jean Valjean knows that this will not be safe for her anymore to be associated with him because he still is always on the run. He is always being hunted down, and it would not be safe for him to remain in her life anymore. He passes her on to Marius, her husband, and he makes the sacrifice of giving up that love that he learned through her, and he gives her up and goes and lives all alone, and it's not until the very, very end of the story that somehow towards the end, all the pieces begin to fall into place, and Marius and Cosette begin to realize the sacrifices that Jean Valjean have made on, has made on his, their behalf all of these years, and he's on his deathbed, and they realize it. And they rush to be there before he dies. And as they get there, he gives his last confession. I write my last confession. Read it well. When I at last am sleeping. It's the story one who turned from hating a man who only learned to love when you were in his keeping <laughs> come with me the chains oh. will never
take me to your glory. Take my hand and lead you to salvation. Take my love, for love is everlasting. And remember the truth. To love another person is to see the face of God. It's what Jesus said when he said to his followers, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Would you bow your heads? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.